If you have your Bible with you, and I know you do, go ahead and just get that out and make your way to James chapter 4. Going to have a lot of Bible in the sermon this morning, so it will serve you well, serve us all well to make sure we got a Bible, paper Bible, digital Bible, whatever kind of Bible you have, go ahead and get that out. Been a wonderful day of worship. Want to thank Brother Brian for doing a wonderful job leading us in our singing. Brother Greg for an excellent uh, talk at the table. Want to thank Brother Kevin for a wonderful prayer. Brother Jake for reading the scripture. Want to thank all of our men who took part in leading us in our worship to God. We are so blessed here at Monte Vista. If I were to ask you to provide a list of your top 10 favorite topics to hear preached about from the pulpit, what would you, what would you say? What would you list? What would you include in your particular list? Believe it or not, but this question is actually asked a lot to people in the religious world today. In fact, I recently came across a poll that was conducted on this question, and the answers that people gave won't surprise you. When asked what kind of topics do you like to hear about in church sermons, the results were things like grace and faith and family and what the Bible says about marriage and raising kids and service and good works and God's love and cultural issues that we're dealing with today, like same-sex marriage and abortion and gender identity. In fact, the result, the top result that was given for this particular poll was, was eschatology. It was studying about the end times. It was studying about the return of Jesus and the judgment day, what's going to happen when the world comes to an end. Those were the topics they kept popping up over and over and over again. But let me tell you about one topic that never kept popping up over and over again. One topic that did not make its way on any list was the topic of sin. Sin. Sin is one topic that did not find its way on any poll that I came across last week. In fact, over the last few decades, one of the things that is becoming very evident is preaching about sin is on the decline. Preaching about sin is on the decline in pulpits across the country. Let me tell you something. There is a reason why the Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas, is one of the largest churches in the country. The preacher, quote unquote preacher for that church, Joel Osteen, he never, never preaches about sin. He never preaches about wicked behavior and the consequences for wicked behavior. He knows that people don't want to hear that. People don't want to hear sermons about sin. Sermons about sin, that's going to gut that church. In fact, one writer I came across and an article entitled, We Don't Hear Much About Sin Today, he asked a question. The question was, why do so many churches never mention sin at all? Answer, because they seem to think, they seem to think that people won't attend if they are made to feel bad about themselves. The writer goes on to say that tolerating wrongdoing and immorality normalizes it. 
It shows acceptance of it. It causes our hearts to grow cold towards sin. He said that just because we don't talk about sin, that doesn't mean that God has changed his mind about it. I like that. I really like that. I really like those thoughts. Because I believe they sum up perfectly what's going on in our society today. Please listen carefully this morning. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we are currently living in a society and a culture where few people, even few religious people, even few members of the Lord's church, want to hear the whole counsel of God. Few people want to hear everything that the Bible has to say. Few people want to hear one of the main topics from the Bible addressed from the pulpit, and that is the topic of sin. People don't want to hear sermons about sin. People don't want to hear sermons about evil and wicked behavior and the consequences of those things. Instead, what a lot of folks rather do is just come to church and, and, and feel good about themselves. A lot of people just want to come to church and hear sermons about how great they are and how much God values them and loves them. And if they're just good people, well, maybe they can just sneak through the back door into heaven and everything's going to be okay. A lot of people don't want to hear sermons about sin. And yet, while those kinds of sermons may satisfy them and even tickle their ears, it doesn't make the problem go away. It doesn't mean that they can run and hide and duck and dodge forever like that check engine light on our car that pops up every now and then. And we hope it'll just go away. We never have to deal with the problem. Well, the same is also true. The same is also true with sin. The same is also true with the realities of sin. No matter how much we try to ignore the problems and the realities of sin, they're not just going to go away. They're not going to stop being realities. We're still going to have to deal with these things at one point or another. And so this morning in this study, how about we do something that few churches in this country want to do today? And that is, let's deal with the, let's deal with the problems. Let, let's deal with the realities head on. Let's grow some thick skin. Let's grow some open hearts and open Bibles. And let's consider just a few of the unavoidable realities of sin. And let's just begin by first doing this. Let's begin by first defining our terms. Let's begin this morning by first defining this word. What does this word mean? What is sin? Are you in your Bible at James this morning? Look at James chapter 4 and verse number 17. In James chapter 4 and verse 17, James says, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. That's a great definition right there. James says sin is when we know the right thing to do and we don't do it. That's sin. Now go in your Bible to 1 John. Please make your way to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 4. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, John says, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is 
lawlessness. Notice how John says that sin, sin according to God is lawlessness. It is lawlessness. When the Bible says that sin is lawlessness, please understand that that's not talking about the laws of men. That's not talking about the U.S. Constitution. That's not talking about the laws that governments create in a society. You and I both know that sometimes those kind of laws are sinful. Here, John is not talking about the law of men. Instead, in this context, he's talking about the law of God. He's talking about the Bible. He's talking about the only book on planet earth that we have to come from the very mind of God. He is telling us that in addition to the Bible being a book about God's love and God's grace and mercy and faith and great Bible stories, the Bible is also a book of law. The Bible also contains God's law. The Bible also contains God's will and standard for our lives. In the case of Adam and Eve, the first man and first woman that we can read about in Genesis who lived in the Garden of Eden. Remember, God's standard for them was to stay away from the forbidden tree. It was to stay away, to not eat from the tree that was in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said the day you eat from that tree, you will die. In the case of the children of Israel, God's people in the Old Testament, God's standard for them was the law of Moses. It was the Ten Commandments and all those other commandments that God had given to them at Mount Sinai. And then in our case, people who live after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's standard for us is the gospel. It is the new covenant. It is the New Testament law that has been given through God's son, Jesus Christ. Go back to James again, please. In James chapter 1. In James chapter 1 in verse number 25. In James chapter 1 in verse 25. James says, but one who looks intently at the perfect law. Notice, the perfect law, the law of liberty. The gospel is called the law of liberty because when we abide by it, when we live by it, we're then liberated from our sins. The perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it. Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. The gospel, the gospel contains law. It contains a law from God that we are expected to keep. In fact, going back to what John said in 1 John chapter 3, and verse number 4. Remember, John told us that when we violate God's law, when we disobey it, when we practice lawlessness and rebel against its standard, we sin. We sin against God. We sin against a holy God. That's what John says in that very short but powerful verse. And let's just be honest about it this morning. That's not the most pleasant message to hear. That is not a message that a lot of people want to hear. Most people in our religious world today, they don't want to hear that God has a law. They don't want to hear that Sin is real, and when they commit sin, they violate or transgress God's law. They don't want to hear the fact that it is a sin to have sex and you're not married. 
It is a sin to fool around with your boyfriend or with your girlfriend. It is a sin to get drunk. It is a sin to curse out your spouse or your co-worker whenever they get you mad. It is a sin to lie. It's a sin to cheat and steal and have bitterness and jealousy in your heart. Most people don't want to hear what God says about sin and what constitutes sin. Instead, they just want to feel good. They just want to feel justified. They even want to be justified in their sins. But no matter how much they may try to run from this and no matter how much we may try to run from what the Bible says here, this is still a reality. This is still truth, whether we like it or not. The Bible says that sin is lawlessness. It is when we violate the standard God has for our lives. This is a reality that is unavoidable, and we're going to have to deal with it at one point or another. In fact, the main reason why we're going to have to deal with this reality one way or another is because we've all done it. We've all committed sin. We've all committed lawlessness in the eyes of God. This is taught actually in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So I want you to go to your Old Testament with me, please. Look at 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 8. I'm going to the prayer that Solomon gives, that Solomon offered to God after the temple had been constructed during the dedication of the temple. In 1 Kings chapter 8 and in verse number 46, in verse number 46 of 1 Kings 8, Solomon says, when they sin against you, for there is no man, there is no man who does not sin. And your anger with them, deliver them to an enemy so that they take them away captive to the land of the enemy far off or near. What well, I just want you to notice on, focus in on that phrase that Solomon acknowledged in his prayer to God. There is no man, no man who does not sin. Put that with, with Ecclesiastes, please. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and in verse number 20, the same writer, the same man of God, Solomon, he wrote these words in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 20. Indeed, there is not a righteous man on the earth who continually does good and who never sins. Every person is a sinner. That's what Solomon is saying there. Go now to Romans, because Paul takes this to a whole another level, this reality to a whole another level in Romans chapter 3. In Romans chapter 3, this is one of the key themes of Romans. Paul here is writing to some Jews who may have thought that they were better than the Gentiles because under, because under the old covenant, they were God's people. They had a special relationship with God. And in Romans chapter 3 and in verse number 9, Paul brings them down to earth. And he says, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we've already charged that both Jews and Greeks or both Jews and Gentiles are all, A-L-L, -L, all under sin. Verse 23, verse 23, for all, there it is again, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Notice how Paul says that sin Sin is one of the great equalizers in life. Paul says that sin is something 
that all of us of an accountable age, all of us of an accountable age have committed sin. We all, I don't care who we are, I don't care what our background may be, where we come from, male or female, we all at various points in our lives have chosen to transgress God's law. Adolf Hitler is not the only person who committed sin. Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden are not the only people who committed sin. Jeffrey Dahmer and Charles Manson are not the only men to commit sin. The Bible says that we've all committed sin. I've committed sin. And you've committed sin. The only exception to that is the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the only one to come into this world and live a perfect and sinless life. In fact, it is because of our sins that he went to the cross and died. It's because of our sins that he left heaven and he came into this world and lived a perfect life and died a horrible death. The Bible says that we all, we all, are sinners. And again, that's not the most pleasant message to hear. That is not a message that most people want to hear. Most people are not going to be flocking the church buildings this morning to hear sermons about how they are sinners and transgressors of God's law. Instead, most people flock the church buildings to hear the fact that they believe they're so good. They don't want to hear about sin and how they're sinners. They want to hear they're so good and they're so special and God will just accept them as they are. Some people live their lives every single day even comparing themselves to other people. They say things to themselves like, well, you know, you know what? I think I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty good person because even though I lie every now and then, and even though I cheat on my taxes and cheat on my spouse and go to the bar, I haven't murdered millions and millions of people like Adolf Hitler. I'm not Osama bin Laden. I'm not Hugh Hefner who started Playboy magazine. I'm not a rapist. I'm not a prostitute. I'm not someone who robs banks or sells drugs. I'm a pretty good person when I compare myself to those folks. That's how a lot of people think. That's the mentality that a lot of people carry with them in their lives every single day. But when we open up our Bibles and we consider how one of the unavoidable realities of sin is the fact that we all are sinners. Well, now we're forced to realize that we're not as good as we think we are. Now we're forced to realize that our standard for goodness is really not good at all. It is not good enough to save us and gain us access into heaven with God. In fact, if our standard of goodness was good enough, then why in the world did Jesus have to come into this world and die on a cross? I mean, if we could be saved just by being good people, then why did Jesus have to leave heaven with his father and come to this world and be beaten and spit on and mocked and have a crown of thorns beat in his head and have nails driven in his hands and his feet and suffer to his very last breath? Jesus Christ went through those kinds of things, not because we're so good, but because we're so bad. We're all bad. 
We're all sinners in the eyes of God. And because we've sinned against God, you know what that means? Well, that means we deserve the devastating consequences of sin. That means we deserve the devastating physical consequences that sometimes result from sin, and we especially deserve the spiritual consequences that result because of sin. Because we are sinners, we deserve to be cut off from God. We deserve to be cut off from a relationship with God and from fellowship with God. We deserve to have a barrier put up between us and a holy and awesome God. That's what Isaiah told the children of Israel. Will you go in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 59, please? And Isaiah chapter 59 in your Old Testament, Isaiah 59, and in verse number 1. And Isaiah chapter 59, and in verse number 1, Isaiah told the children of Israel, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities, notice, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Notice how, because of sin, when we sin, we cause God to hide his face from us. We cut ourselves off from God. God closes his ears to the things we have to say in our prayers. We have a barrier now between us and a holy God. Sin does that. That's what Isaiah says. And Paul makes this point in Romans, please. Romans chapter 6. Remember we read Romans 3.23 where Paul said we've all sinned, we fall short of the glory of God. Well, Paul goes on further with that idea in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23. In Romans 6 and verse 23, Paul says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is not something we can earn. He says the free gift of God is eternal life and Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice how Paul says that when we sin, when we sin, we earn a wage. There's a wage for sin. Now, for those of you who've worked or you do work, you know what a wage is. A wage is something that you earn. You earn a wage. You work a full week, uh, a full work week on your job. At the end of that week, you want a paycheck. You got bills to pay. And if you don't get what you've earned, you're gonna have you're gonna have some problems. You're gonna go to that boss and say, "Where's the money that I've earned? I've done my part. Now I want what's what's due me. I want what you owe me." A wage is something that you earn, and we understand that when it comes to working. Secular jobs, and Paul says the same is true. The same is also true when it comes to when it comes to sin. Paul says in the same way, there is a wage for sin. There is something that we earn because of sin, and it's not to go to heaven. Sorry to bust anybody's bubble here this morning, but we don't deserve to go to heaven. I don't care how much perfect attendance at church we got. We don't deserve to go to heaven. We don't deserve to be with God. We don't deserve to spend eternity with God and his son, Jesus Christ. We do not deserve eternal life. Instead, we deserve, the Bible says, death. When Paul talks about death there, he's not talking about physical death. You and I both know that sometimes innocent children, precious little babies who are sinless, sometimes they die physically in, in this life. No, Paul's not talking about physical death there. He's talking about spiritual death. Eternal separation from God. No relationship with God 
forever. He says that one of the devastating consequences of sin is spiritual death, being cut off from God. In fact, we can go further with this by saying that because of sin, we deserve God's judgment. We don't deserve God's love. We don't deserve God's forgiveness. We deserve God's judgment. In Matthew chapter 25, do you remember in Matthew 25 how Jesus talks about the judgment day? And he talks about how he's going to come back. And when he comes back, all the nations will be gathered before him. And he's going to separate the righteous from the wicked like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he says in verse number 46, in the last verse of that chapter, when it comes to the wicked, the goats, he says these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Notice how contrary to what universalism suggests, everybody's not going to be saved. Contrary to what you may hear at funerals, the impression you may get at funerals, everybody's not going to heaven. Everybody's not going to be saved. Jesus says that there are going to be some people who are going to be saved. They are going to receive eternal life, and there are going to be other people who are going to receive eternal damnation. They're going to receive spiritual death forever. Why? Because they died in their sins. Remember the rich man? Do you remember the rich man in Luke 16? That rich man, Luke 16, is an example of somebody who died in his sins because he was greedy, remember. And he was selfish and he refused to use his blessings to help a man named Lazarus who was suffering. When he died, he died lost. When he died, he began to suffer. He experienced torment and God's judgment in the spiritual realm or dimension beyond this life. In fact, go in your Bible now to Matthew 23, because Jesus really wanted the Pharisees to get this. In Matthew 23, in case you thought that Jesus was the kind of preacher who was always warm and fuzzy and just trying to make people feel good, you need to read Matthew 23. Matthew 23 will give you a big dose of reality when it comes to the preaching of Jesus and what kind of preacher he really was. In Matthew 23, in verse number 27, Jesus here is talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. And in verse 27, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you're like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful. But inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So notice how Jesus can see our hearts. He can read our hearts this morning. He can see if we're really genuine and sincere as disciples. He knows what's going on in here. And he knew what was going on in the Pharisees, with the Pharisees, and that's why they couldn't stand him, because they knew he knew the truth about them. They appeared to be righteous and have it all together on the outside, but Jesus said inside you are dead. You're dead spiritually. And so he goes on to say in verse 29, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partnering with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers, you serpents, you snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you escape? The sentence of hell. 
notice how Jesus mentions hell here. I want to suggest that just like sin is not something that a lot of people want to hear about in pulpits today, neither is hell. People don't want to hear about sin, and they especially don't want to hear about hell. They especially don't want to hear about that place where God's presence won't be in any way, shape, or form, and where those who die in their sins are going to go and suffer forever. People don't want to hear about hell. But notice, Jesus preached about hell. Jesus preached about hell here to the Pharisees. Jesus preached more about hell than any other preacher in the Bible. It is not even close. Jesus told the Pharisees to their face that if they didn't straighten up and start doing right and having the right kind of hearts, they were going to be sentenced to hell. They were going to experience the ultimate judgment of God. You know what that shows us? That shows us to Jesus, sin is serious. This is serious business. This is not something that we need to be taken lightly like our culture wants us to do. It is not something that needs to be minimized and laughed at and mocked and watered down and viewed as no big deal. No, Jesus says sin is a big deal. It is a big deal because it cuts us off from God and it brings about the judgment of God in hell. Lying, lying will cause us to suffer forever in hell. Adultery will cause us to suffer forever in hell. Bitterness, jealousy, uncontrolled anger, sex outside of marriage, lust, greed, being a stumbling block to other Christians, disobeying your parents, young people, failing to worship God in spirit and in truth. All these things are sins and they will cause us to lose our souls forever in hell. That's what Jesus says. In fact, if you want the ultimate example, of just how serious sin is to God, look no further than the cross. Look no further than the cross that Jesus died on. Look no further to the fact that the only avenue for us to receive redemption and forgiveness and appease the wrath of God was God's perfect son dying on a cross. That's how serious sin is is sin has devastating consequences. It has devastating spiritual consequences. And because those consequences are so devastating, you know what that means? That means we got to eliminate it. We got to eliminate sin from our lives. We got to eliminate sin completely from our lives if we're going to be true followers of Jesus. Well, you go in your Bible to Colossians, and I'm really speaking to Christians right here, those who are members of the Lord's church. I want you to listen to me carefully right now, okay? The Bible makes it very clear that if we're going to be real, genuine Christians, if we're going to be genuine disciples, we can't walk in sin. We can't be practicing sin. It can't work that way. In Colossians chapter 3, in Colossians Chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, as he's writing to these Christians in Colossae, he says in verse number 5, in verse 5, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Notice, dead, he says, to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry, for it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Don't miss the fact Paul's writing to Christians. 
He's saying as Christians, when it comes to sinful things, that stuff's got to be dead to us. It's got to go. We got to cut it out of our lives. Paul makes the same point in Romans. I'm going to Romans chapter six, please. Romans chapter six. And remember what Paul said in verse one. In Romans chapter six and verse number one, Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we, are we as Christians to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How should we who died, we should have died to sin, still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. We got to be new people. Verse five, for if we become united with him. In the likeness of his death, certainly we should also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self, that old sinful person we used to be, was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died is free from sin. You see what Paul is saying. As Christians, we can't walk in sin. We can't live our lives walking in sin. Can't work that way. We should die to sin. We should strive to the best of our ability to eliminate sin and avoid sin. That's what Paul is saying. And Jesus actually said this first in Matthew chapter 5. For those of you in the Sermon on the Mount class, you remember these verses, don't you? You remember we had a whole class on these verses. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Matthew 5, 27. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. I want you to notice a couple of things from those verses. First, notice how Jesus emphasizes the point we just made. He emphasizes the seriousness of sin. He says that sin is a big deal. Adultery, it's a big deal. Lusting is a big deal. All sin is a big deal in the eyes of God. In fact, sin is such a big deal in the eyes of God that Jesus says whatever we have to do to get sin out of our lives, we need to do it. We need to cut it out. I've told you, I've told you the story of Big Mom before having a, you've heard that story. You know about Big Mama. You know Big Mama was my great-grandmother. She had a small farm in Goodrich, Texas. And she raised 16 children on that small farm. She died in 1994 at 92 years old, but let me tell you something, she could have died a whole lot sooner if she didn't agree to get one of her legs cut off. You see, that was a time when Big Mama was experiencing some medical issues that required her to get her leg cut off. It required amputation, and even though I was a little boy when this happened, I can still vividly remember how she didn't have a problem with that. She didn't argue with the doctor about that. She did not argue with the fact that she had to lose that leg, even though that meant she would no longer walk, jump, run, or skip. In order to avoid death, 
she agreed to get rid of that infected part of her body. She did not mind getting rid of that leg so she could live. And Jesus says, that's the same kind of mindset we got to have when it comes to sin. It's the same mindset. Jesus says that because sin has such devastating consequences, spiritual consequences, we got to take whatever radical action is necessary to get rid of it. We got to amputate it. We got to be willing to pluck out our eyes and cut off our hands and our feet. When Jesus says that, please understand he's not talking literal. He's not saying you got to literally pluck out your right eye. I mean, if you literally pluck out your right eye, guess what? You can still lust with your left eye. And if you pluck out both your eyes, guess what? You can still lust in your heart. He's not talking about physical and literal mutilation here. Instead, Jesus is using this strong graphic language to urge us to do whatever we have to do to eliminate sin. He is saying, do whatever you have to do to get sin out of your life. Get rid of that iPad. Get rid of that iPhone. Get rid of those friends. Get rid of that social media page. Get rid of that boyfriend or that girlfriend that you're fooling around with. Understand that you can have a relationship with God without an iPad. You can have a relationship with God without an iPhone. You can have a relationship with God without having a boyfriend or a girlfriend, but you cannot have a relationship with God in sin you cannot have a relationship with God for eternity if you die in your sins Jesus says the scripture says that sin is lawlessness and it's been committed by all people and it has devastating consequences and it must be eliminated from our lives these are just four of many Realities, unavoidable realities that we could list when it comes to sin. But here's the point. Here's the point. Listen carefully. When we avoid preaching about sin and when we avoid talking about sin and studying about sin, you know what we do? We rob ourselves of a big part of the Bible. We foolishly put our heads in the spiritual sand we increase the likelihood that we're going to begin walking in sin and minimizing its consequences. Most importantly, we minimize the death of Jesus Christ. We water down the gospel. And we fail to truly appreciate why the gospel is good news. You see, the reason why the gospel is good news is because through it, we can be saved from the bad news. Through it, we can be saved from our sins and the horrors of hell, even though we've all sinned and transgressed the law of God and we deserve to be lost in hell forever through the gospel we learn that God loves us. And he does care about us and he does value us and he does want to have a relationship with us. In fact, he wants a relationship with us so bad that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into this world to die on a cross and appease his wrath and pay the penalty for our sins. If we surrender completely to Jesus and have our sins washed away by his blood, guess what? We can go to heaven. We can be with God forever you see only when we avoid closing our ears to what the bible says about sin can we truly appreciate the good news of the gospel 
Only then can we truly appreciate the grace of God and how we need that grace and how amazing it is that God actually extended to us that grace through his son, Jesus. And so while the vast majority of our society lives in denial about the reality of sin and its dreadful consequences, let us be different. Let us be different at Monte Vistas. Let us never shy away from preaching about sin and talking about sin and studying sin and calling out sin and especially dealing with sin when it is present in our lives. In fact, maybe there's someone here this morning, you say, Sean, I got sin in my life right now. Sin is present in my life. Here is the good news of the gospel. The good news is even though you may have sin in your life right now, you can get those sins forgiven by God if you come to him this morning. If you're not a Christian, that means you need to have faith in his son and repent of your sins and be baptized in water so Jesus' blood can wash away your sins. And if you are a Christian, but you've sinned. 1 John 1 says, if you confess your sins and ask God to forgive you, God will forgive you. He is faithful to do that. If there's anyone here this morning who needs help getting over sin, come to the front right now. We'll help you. Let's stand. Let's sing.